This podcast does not constitute medical advice. All changes surrounding medications, diet and exercise should be made in consultation with a professional who can assess your unique health circumstances. Welcome to the Patterson Program, where you'll learn how to improve your health from the inside out. And now, your host, Clint Patterson. Welcome back to the Patterson Podcast, our second of the two-part series with Dr. Goldberg and Dr. David Tanner from the Goldberg Clinic in Atlanta, Georgia. In this episode, we are going to look at some case studies from their clinic and learn about how they have transformed and improved the lives of just a couple of examples of many, many patients. Welcome back, gentlemen. Hi, Clint. Hi, Clint. Well, in our last episode, we looked at the sequence in which someone experiences your clinic and how you take them from when they step in the door to how you then prescribe their laboratory work and also their tests and so forth and then how you treat them from there therefore onwards. Let's now dive in and find out about some examples and how they were helped. Okay. Well, Clint, when I started uh, practicing, I was also a professor at a chiropractic college in, in Marietta, Georgia, teaching clinical nutrition, gastroenterology, and uh, rheumatology. And it was very appropriate for me, I think, is that the experiences I had in my clinic where I was practicing full-time, I would try to bring some of those cases into the classroom to be able to show to my students. And I had about 100 students per class, and I was teaching full-time uh, initially. and uh, to show them actual examples because you know when you're in school it's kind of like the ivory tower and you're you're learning theory you're learning facts and figures but you don't really see too much particularly the first few years of live patients so it was very exciting for me to take into the classroom actual examples of what i was teaching them and show them this is not only the way it's done but here's some examples that you can see and you can see how what we're talking about is actually helping people to recover And our focus at the Goldberg Clinic has always been on reversing chronic diseases. So at first, what I would do is I would simply bring in letters from the patients and I would bring in laboratory studies, befores and afters. One of the really great things about laboratory studies, and I think some doctors use them correctly, some doctors don't, is that they help us to identify some causal factors But in addition to that, they give us a way for us to monitor, is the patient progressing in the right direction? Are they improving? And in an objective fashion, I mean, we can ask the patient, are you feeling better? And of course, it's always good to hear the patient says they feel better. But sometimes a patient can be initially feeling better and getting worse. And sometimes the patient can be initially feeling worse and getting better. So we have physical exam and talking to the patient, but we also have to have some objective measures to measure that with, and laboratory studies help us quite a bit with that. So I would bring in the laboratory studies. I I had a lab in my office, as I do now, and then the other laboratory tests would be sent out to various laboratories. And so we could see what was the patient like on the lab study when they first came in, and what were they like after four weeks, 12 weeks, 16 weeks, and were they progressing or not? If the patient shows signs that they're not doing better, then we need to say, okay, 
what do we need to do differently at this point? We don't want to just keep doing the same thing if the patient's right. not improving. So we started, I started to do at the time, this was before Dr. Tenner was even born, actually. <laughs> so we began to do uh, uh, case studies where the patient, we would interview the patient, have the patient write up how they were doing, and also show the before and after lab studies. In 2000 and when did you come on board with me? 2010? Yeah, approximately. In 2010, when Dr. Tenner was still a, a student, a chiropractic college student at the time, uh, and my student, um, he began to uh, work at my clinic as an assistant. And being that he's an extremely bright guy and also a younger guy, he had more, much, he has much greater uh, abilities to use technology than I do. Because uh, I'm, I'm starting to push 70, and Dr. Tenner is, is in his, uh, at the time he was still in his 20s, has an excellent ability in many respects, including his use of technology. So he said, Doc, we could up, update the way you're doing these things. And so we began to do actually do videos of the patients, showing them how they were when they first came in, and particularly with the kind of patients we deal with, like patients with rheumatoid arthritis and psoriatic arthritis, how were they maneuverable? Were they able to walk? Were they able to get up from a table, up from a chair? And we began to film them when they came in and then at intervals afterwards, as well as conducting the laboratory tests as I had been doing, so we could show the progression that the patient was making. Yeah. We then posted that on our website, which is www.goldbergclinic.com. And that's under what, Dr. Tanner? What would they look for to see those videos? Well, on the top of the page, there's a menu bar and there's a little tab called success stories and you'll get a drop down menu and it's different categories of uh, disease conditions that we work with. And there's one for rheumatoid disorders and autoimmune disorders and amongst others. And by clicking that, it'll take you to uh, videos that fall within that category. And collectively, just over the past few years, it's about 100 of them that we've put up. And a lot of them have before and after pictures, including patients' joints and their skin and their weight and all different things. And um, a lot of them also show the before and after lab work, uh, including uh, markers uh, like sedimentation rate and C-reactive protein, which are two markers that we use to monitor a patient, particularly with auto an autoimmune and inflammatory disorders like rheumatoid arthritis. And I'd like to add to that that in every case of the patients we posted there, the patient has given us their permission and their full name is given. It isn't yeah. just this, this is PZ's uh, testimonial. This yeah. is an actual interview with the patient and showing before and afters of the patient and showing their lab work as they progress. So we have both subjective and, most important, we have objective data there. And we've been collecting these for four or five years now. We have more than 100 of these studies now posted. So I would invite any of your clients, any of your people that visit your site who are interested, take a look at those. And we can also, we'd be glad to discuss a few patients uh, with you right now, if you like, and tell you about what, what happened with them. Yeah, and I'd just like to add to that. Uh, it's exactly the same way that I look for improvements with uh, with my clients and tell my audience. People ask what blood test should they get uh, when they see their local general practitioner or with their rheumatologist. It's always C-reactive protein, sed rate. Some people are interested uh, to get anti-CCP done, rheumatoid factor, but uh, my rheumatologist advised me many years ago that although those are indications of the presence of the disease in the body, he's most interested in the inflammation and uh, C-reactive protein and sed rate gives us that measure. And for most people, even if one person C-reactive protein at a certain level of 
symptoms looks different to another person's C-reactive protein with the same level of symptoms. What matters is the relative nature of those measurements for the individual. So if someone was to report a C-reactive protein of 5 milligram per litre and then next month it's a 4, then we know that person has a little bit less inflammation and that's all we need to know, what's uh, relative for that person month to month. So um, I, I, I agree with that 100% and there's a lot of tests that are done for various antibody titers. We don't, and we, when patients come in, they bring those tests from the rheumatologist. I look at those very, very superficially. I'm most interested, as is the rheumatologist that you're just talking about, with looking at those two very important markers, a sed rate, sedimentation rate, which has been around for a long, long time, and a, a C-reactive protein. We use something called a high-sensitivity C-reactive yeah, protein. exactly. Uh, yeah. Which just, it's the same test. It's just a little more sensitive. And uh, those two things are, are excellent in measuring the amount of inflammation the patient has. Yeah. And when I saw those all over your site, because I've intermittently looked at your website ever since I was diagnosed. And do you know that if we were financially capable of attending your clinic back in the day when I was at my you know, extreme worst, then I dare say we may have actually come over because you're one of the very few clinics that can be found online who post the kind of recovery data, not just the pictures, not just the testimonials, but the data. And I've noticed that from day one. And it's only over the last few years, however, and I think it's from Dr. Tenner's influence, that the uh, videos have come up. There's, there seems to be a more frequency of communication through your site to the mailing list. And yes, it's just great to see that explosion of sharing of positive news with the world because you know it's what the poor people who are looking for help looking for guidance and are going to bed each night thinking lord guide me tomorrow as to how i'm going to get better tomorrow need to see in the clutter and the noise and the misinformation that's online a ray of true hope and ray of true light coming through so well done guys thank so you let's hear about a couple of examples Okay, well, just uh, these uh, people that we're going to mention, we, we talked about doing two of them with you today, Clinton, and your, your viewers are welcome to go to our website and see as many as they'd like. They are also, there's videos of them on the site, so they can go and get a more detailed look. They can actually see the patient. Uh, so we, we're going to use their actual, actual name because the name is, uh, well, usually it's their first name, and the whole name is on the site as well. And we're going to talk, first of all, about a a man, a very nice gentleman, whose name is Andy, who came to us was about three years ago. When he first, about three years ago, we first saw him. We pretty much completed his care about what about six months ago. Yeah, we still see him periodically, but he's gone through most of the process already. And uh, Andy's in his uh, early sixties. Uh, very, very nice gentleman, by the way. Really likable person. And uh, he came in and he had been diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. And when Andy first came in, it was very difficult for him to move. He had trouble getting up and down from a chair, very difficult to walk. Andy is a, uh, a salesperson for a company which makes like artificial turf, right? AstroTurf. Yeah. AstroTurf, yeah. And uh, I can't stress enough, he's just a very likable person, as his, uh, his, his wife is also a, love, is a lovely lady, too. And uh, we did a physical, we did a case history of him. And one of the things that came out with Andy is that his job was a little stressful, but not uh, nothing too out of the ordinary. 
very nice home life, very, like I said, he has a, has a lovely wife, and he and his wife have a, a very good relationship. Uh, lives on a little uh, on a plot of land about uh, maybe about 80 miles, 70, 80 miles from our from our clinic. We get people from all over the world, but uh, this Andy wasn't that far away, about 80 miles away. And so we did a case history. We did a physical exam. We did the appropriate laboratory studies on him. And then we, we start we started to work with him. And he was on at the time. He was on large doses of prednisone. He was on methotrexate, and Andy was not experiencing any positive, uh, anything positive from this, other than he had some suppression of his symptoms, but he had swelling of his joints and he had tremendous fatigue. One really exceptional thing about about Andy is that despite all this, he was uh, he was not a big complainer <laughs> and a very very good humored guy. And he was a very he was a real pleasure to work with, particularly because we could see his his hands were terribly inflamed and enlarged, his knees were enlarged, and it was it was clear just in the way he was had so much trouble in ambulating. And based on his laboratory tests, which initially yeah, why don't you pull that up, Dr. Tim? Yeah, I was just pulling up his original inflammatory markers on the computer here. And uh these I believe are posted on the website. When he first presented in April of 2016, he had an HSCRP of 9.2. And that is an HSCRP, not a CRP. The normal yeah. range less than three for that. So a, a CRP of almost ten, based on this mm -hmm. test, is. I mean, he had a lot of inflammation going on. He was in a lot of discomfort. Yeah, we, with HSCRP, we see people that are at even two on that that are still inflamed. I mean, medically, you have to. Your your viewers should understand that the ranges that they use medically are different from the ranges we use for for a person being in good health. So for a person. For example, for a male, they'll oftentimes put a sed rate is normal up to about 15, sometimes even 20, you'll see. And a, a male, even an older male who has a sed rate is 15 or 20, they're inflamed. There's a lot of inflammation going on there. Uh, not that you can't be a lot higher, but that already is, is inflammation. And for a, a, a CRP, which an HSCRP, which the medical system, the laboratories say is normal at three, if somebody has a CRP or HSCRP rather three, they're inflamed. So we actually like to see that less than one. We regard it less than one as being as being normal. I'm so sorry. Let me just add thank you so much for saying that because I've been saying that for years and this is the first time I've heard it myself. I used to notice inflammation in my body, anything above a high sensitivity CRP of one. And that was my goal for myself as well, personally, that I found because I found that if I was anything above one, I used to still feel a little bit in my fingers and I used to still feel a little bit in my knee or wherever it might right. be. So there you go. I found that for me, that was my guideline. And I encourage people to be always aiming for the lowest possible number because normal, as you've just said eloquently, normal, which might be below three or five milligram per litre, there's still inflammation in the body. You can still feel it. You can still see it. We need to get it as low as possible. Yeah, and, and it's not only for the comfort of it, but because we still have a disease process going on when those numbers are elevated. And with the CRP or HSCRP, you're looking at inflammation in the body in general, which will also not only contribute to painful joints and muscles and stiffness, but also to an increased risk of heart attack and stroke. Yep. So we, we want the, those numbers to be low. And in fact, the, your viewers may know that this is uh, CRP stands for cardiac reactive protein. 
And initially that test was used primarily by cardiologists. And interestingly, a lot of them <laughs> don't make as use, much use of it as I think that they should. Because it's, it's a wonderful test to be able to measure the patient's general level of inflammation. And the CRP and the SED rate should both be done, really, because they don't always run hand in hand. Mm. They, are, they are measuring different things in the body. So we're gonna, we, we want to see one of one and one of the other yeah. to monitor the patient properly. Andy was had both a, a high HSC or a PA, I believe. Was his SED rate also high, Dr. Tanner? Uh, I don't recall. I know we, we use the CRP primarily. We use it on him probably. And anyway, long story short, we started with a, a CRP. It was uh, two results. Oh, sure, sorry. 9.2. Of 9.2. What did we end up with? Uh, the last it was checked, it was 1.9. It was 1.9. Yeah, so it came down a lot. Yeah. The interesting thing about Andy's case clamp, uh, as I, I recall, it's like it was yesterday, is that Andy went through a lot of ebbs and flows in the course of getting well, like most patients do. In some cases, as we're monitoring the CRP, we'll see it come down some, then it might increase a little bit, then it'll come down. Yeah. And so patients have to be patient. That's one thing uh, that we tell them. The CRP can fluctuate for a time, but over a long period, over a period of months, we want to see the net effect of it going down. Um, Andy, in the course of working with him, had some significant ups and downs, one of which was that he broke out. He had kidney stones. He, he was passing kidney stones about halfway through. As his body was detoxifying, breaking down old tissues and waste residues, part of that process was the elimination of accumulated material in his kidneys that his body was then expelling. And so he had a tough time as he went through that process, but he stuck it out. He was very persistent. He was perseverant. And it was at that period that we saw actually a spike in his inflammation. So Andy made it through that tough period, and as he was coming out of it, that was a real breakthrough for him. As he came out of it, we saw the CRP start to drop considerably. But this was about six to eight months in. So Andy, for about, about six to eight months, was having considerable ups and downs and ebbs and flows, but he stood with it. I think he had the right guidance. He understood the process, what to expect, and the ups and downs that's often needed or required for a, for a person to actually make a breakthrough and get well. And so his case was a, a real classic example of that. Exactly. And he actually felt worse before he felt better. And today he has absolutely no symptoms at all. He is symptom free. He's able to work to the full extent that he wants to. And he's able to help his wife on the farm, the little farm that they have there. They have horses and they have chickens and they have dogs and they have all, they're, they're, they're lovely people and they have lovely animals and the animals are all like family to them as well. And so the animals have a good life, and Andy's able to help out his wife with all the chores there now, too, including baling hay and feeding the, the horse and doing all the hard work that a, that a farm life requires. Did he stay with you for some time, or because of his proximity, did he just visit? Well, he, we have two ways that we work with patients. He was willing to make those visits to see us, and so we saw him probably, what, about every two to three weeks? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... Uh, for patients that are farther away than Andy, because in our practice, Andy was actually considered kind of close. He was within 70 yeah. or 80 miles. For people that are out of state or out of the country, we have we have, do have people even from in your country, Australia, yeah. that come to see us. We, see, we have to see them originally in person for one visit, and then we will communicate with them via email, sometimes by phone as well, for long intervals of two or three months before we, we, we may want to see them one more time after that. Right, right. I see. We put people on email contracts where they are uh, required to be in contact with us on a weekly basis. They can write to us as often as they wish, but they have to write to us 
at least one time per week so we can monitor what's going on. Because when you first put a patient on a program, it's not like that program is going to be what they're going to do for the rest of the, for the duration. Things are going to change. I'm a fairly experienced guy after 40 years, but I cannot predict with the uh, 68 billion possibilities that genetic makeup allows, it's exactly how that patient's going to respond. So we need to stay on top of it with them and make changes as the patient progresses. Yeah. And Andy, we we did some emailing with him, but we also had him come in for visits every three or four weeks. I think it's important to add, and as I've just brought up your website and I've just easily located Andy's story, he's completely off drugs now too. Completely. Yeah, I mean, it's profound. What you've achieved for Andy, and if I may do a humble brag, I have achieved for some clients as well, but it's considered medically impossible. Yeah. Before. Here's the thing about all these diseases, which they call um, non-reversible. If you want to go to the North Pole and you're in Florida <laughs> yeah. and you go to Florida and you head southwards, you will never reach the North Pole. Let's say you just want to go to Ohio and you're in Georgia. If you head south, it will be impossible for you to ever reach Ohio because Ohio is north. So is it true that rheumatoid arthritis is incurable? Yes, it is true under medical care. There is no way a person, unless there's intervention from God, which we call a miracle, there is no way that person's ever going to get well under medical care. But that is different than saying that the person can never get well. So, for example, if I have a car with a bad fuel injection system, and every time I go to the mechanic, he keeps replacing the exhaust system on the car, and the problem is with the fuel injector, and he says to me, the problem with your car is incurable. It cannot be fixed. And he's right. As long as I try to cure a bad fuel injector by replacing the exhaust system, the car will never run right. Mm. So if we address a problem, whether it be rheumatoid arthritis or any of the other autoimmune disorders or any problem that is chronic and is considered irreversible by the medical system, and we simply take these so-called irreversible chronic diseases and apply drugs to them, they are indeed incurable because we're not we're taking an approach which is entirely incompatible with recovery by normal biology. Yeah, here, here. Now, you just give us some... Uh a um, little bit of an insight into what you did for Andy because, you know, you've told us how wonderful his personality and how lovely his wife was, so we haven't really got too many issues there. What did you uncover? Uh, maybe just some bullet points here. of What you uncovered, some areas that you could work on, and just some general sort of information for us as to the way that you guided him. Okay. Well, I, I think the people who are watching this, and, and you will find this interesting because it's right along the lines, I think, of what a lot of the work that you do, Clint, in that Andy's primary issues, uh, nutritional and slash dietetic in nature, Andy's one of these very uh, kind of a, we, we call the yang personality, a very warm person, heavy set. When you shake his hand, of course, when he first came in, it was, I mean, he shook my hand like a, 110 year old old lady right. just no strength at all yeah uh, today now that he's back to good health again 
I would not tell him to squeeze my hand as hard as he can because he would mashed potatoes. He's an incredibly strong person and a very warm person, a very yang personality, kind of guy that's also, I warned him, that he's also subject to uh, uh, cardiovascular disease, heart disease, and stroke. We wanted to make sure we prevented him from heading down that road as well. So the first part of our journey with Andy was to uncover what was going on, what was wrong. So that was, as we talked about in the first segment of, of this presentation, was to do a good thorough case history and a physical exam and laboratory tests. When we gave the report of findings to him, and this included, we had done a dietary analysis, and for us, most of what that involves is the patient writing down for two weeks everything that they eat. And I tell them, don't try to impress me. However it is that you normally eat, that's what I want you to write down there. I want you to make no changes. And what we call that, Clint, we call that first two weeks the period of discovery. We're running tests in-house. We're sending lab kits to the, with the patient to send to the various laboratories. And I've worked with most of these labs as a consultant over the years, so I have my own little twist the way we run these tests. Uh, and then the patient is collecting information on their own, including writing down for two weeks everything that they eat. So we looked at Andy's test results, and we looked at his diet, and we found a lot of different things are wrong. For example, his diet was very heavily uh, meat-based diet. Okay, it was a very a diet that was full of red meat and uh, junk food and on, on things that we don't regard as, as healthy for the individual. And I think his his cholesterol was also elevated, wasn't it? And one of the his cholesterol was high; it's now normal. So we told Andy we're going to have to clean him up inside. Yeah. Also talked to him about his use of steroids and how we suggested that he just talk with his rheumatologist about weaning himself down off of those. So that was uh, a matter that we recommended how that would normally be done, but said that it needed to be done in coordination with his medical doctor. So the first step was to start to reduce the medications while at the same time we put Andy, in his case, we put him on a liquid diet. And we have various liquid diets. I'm, I'm certified in fasting supervision. I worked at a place in Florida in the 70s where I was a fasting supervisor. I supervised thousands of people on, on doing fasting, which is just water only. We don't do a lot of that with people, but we do put a lot of people on liquid diets, whether that just be broth or vegetable juice or some type of uh, rice protein. Right. There's a variety of different things we can use depending on what we think is going to work best with the patient. So we put Andy on a liquid diet for a period of uh, probably about five to seven days. Mm -hmm. And then we did that intervals. Gradually, his weight began to drop. He started various impurities out of the system. We monitored him with laboratory tests as well as physical examinations. And we began to see changes in his blood work as time went along. Eventually, to get to the very end of it, He's now, Andy is now on a uh, pretty much, a, we, we recommended the plant-based diet. There's a good book that gives good guidance and good evidence for that, which I used to use with my classes, called The China Study, which I recommend to people by Dr. Colin and Campbell. And uh, although I've been using a plant-based diet with not all of my patients, but with the majority of them for uh, 40 plus years, Dr. Campbell's book gives actual scientific studies which supported, as well as I've seen for most of our patients, that's been the dietary of choice for them. But it, before, we, we just couldn't simply say, here, don't eat that way, eat this way. We had to first clear out some of those impurities out of the system. And that was a somewhat painful process for him. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, that is absolutely fantastic. You know, obviously his life is totally different. His outlook for the rest of his life is is different. His relationship now with his wife's going to be different. His day-to-day experience is different. And, uh, you know, I think that I can very much appreciate what it feels like to get someone those kind of results. And uh, and congratulations on Andy. And I'm, uh, I'm sure he's... Uh, Life will never be the same again for Andy. So that is that is wonderful. You've been very generous with your time. We've uh, we've sort of reached the the time that that we thought we might run to. Just wondering if you'd like to share another story uh, or whether or not we should. Yeah, sure, Quinn. I have a awesome. Just a, Thank you. A couple that I can share, and one of them short, so I can probably yeah. Let's do both. that. Let's do that. Yeah. The reason I've selected uh, these two for you is because I think they help to illustrate the differences between patients and the varying reasons why people develop these problems. One of the cases was with a a young man named Anderson who came to see us back, I think in 2012 or 2013. And his case is also on the website, a little boy with uh, knee uh, inflammation in his knee. You can see it in the pictures uh, that are posted there. Um, He was diagnosed with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. And uh, he had developed that problem when he was two years old with the initial onset. We saw him when he was seven. Uh, He and his mother, I believe, came to see us somewhere from the New York, New Jersey area. And uh, he had seen rheumatologists and medically they they kept uh, injecting his knees with steroids, uh, which would suppress the symptoms temporarily, as it does in most cases. But the knee inflammation, once the steroid wore off and after he got off of it, would come right back. After that, the rheumatologist wanted to give um, uh, Anderson Enbrel, which is a biologic, a TNF-alpha blocker. Now, which we didn't touch on a whole lot today, but we do see quite a lot of patients on that category of drugs, too. Um, There's actually a two-part article on our website on the dangers of biologics, which I would also encourage your your audience to read because those are are drugs that a lot of these patients end up on as well. Um, Anderson's mother was not uh, sold on going down that road. She was well aware of the potential side effects of those drugs, uh, particularly for a a young boy uh, like her son. And so Anderson came in, we did a history on him, physical exam, got the appropriate lab work. And in Anderson's case, there were a few factors that, that played a role with him. But the big thing that really showed up with him that he was, uh, was that he was severely allergic to milk. Uh, we did a specific kind of allergy profile on him. And uh, I think the cutoff for normal in terms of the antibody count uh, was less than 300. His showed up well over 2,000 to milk protein. And that was the major factor that really allowed for his recovery was getting him off milk and then setting some other parameters to support his health and his recovery. The reason I bring this case up is most cases, and I don't want to give your audience the wrong impression, most cases are, are not a result of just milk allergy. That just happened to be the big factor with his case. But you see a young boy at seven years old who was headed down a path where the rest of his life was going to be miserable, where he was either going to develop he was going to be on drugs like Enbrel. He was going to be on repeated courses of steroids. He may have developed cancer from being on those drugs when really it boiled down to some simple things that we needed to change with him. And within a couple of months, he was running around playing so, uh, Little League Baseball again. His knee, you can see the pictures on the website where his knee was swollen and inflamed and the after picture about 60 days later. And so you take a child who may have had a very different life if he went the other direction. And, and in his case, it boiled down to some simple things. The other case I wanted to share with you was a woman named Patricia who came to see us uh, a couple of years ago. And we don't have a full testimonial video with her on our website, but there is a video on there of her getting up off our exam table at her initial visit. She really she was, had so much inflammation and swelling and pain that she could not pick herself up off the table. And then we have her after video about a year later of her being able to 
pick herself up and walk uh, normally. The reason I bring her her case up is that it's in it contrasts well with the case I just saw you because the, the factors in her case were very different. Right. Um, this was a woman, I think, in her early 60s, a very pleasant lady, uh, came in with her husband from Tennessee, and she had also developed a rheumatoid issue that uh, resulted in significant inflammation to her hands. Her, her grip strength was very weak. It affected almost all the joints of her body. Her gait was significantly affected. There were uh, a lot of the activities of daily life were uh, she was not able to perform as a result of, of her condition. She was pretty badly debilitated. Her uh, rheumatologist wanted to put her on the same course of drugs that we see most patients on. But in her case, uh, she had declined those medications. And, and we saw her kind of at a crossroads there where she could have gone down the medical path or explored other options. And she ended up in our office. To make a long story short, the main factor in her case was there was a significant emotional trauma that she experienced in her family. And I'm not going to necessarily share what the event was, but it was significant enough that it had had stimulated her immune system and, and in our opinion, really set this off. There were other factors in terms of her habits. She was drinking alcohol. Her diet wasn't great for most of her life. Um, She had had other stresses in her life as well. Just just wanted to say she was drinking alcohol, but she was not alcoholic. Correct. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I just want to clarify that, too. So there were some other factors that may have gradually set the stage for this over time. And Dr. Goldberg was talking about the total load of accumulated stressors that people have throughout the course of their life. And in many cases, um, there's a, a straw that breaks the camel's back. And so in her case, it was that significant emotional trauma. And in, in getting her well, um, there was a period where we were, we were doing some, some counseling with her and some emotional counseling. She had received, was receiving some counseling outside of the clinic as well. In addition to working with her from a physical standpoint, doing some, having her get some physical body work and then uh, periodically putting her on liquid diets and or fasting with her, um, working on her digestive tract, eliminating toxic habits so that we could gradually reduce the total weight or the total load of the accumulated stressors on her. And in the course of doing all those things together, she gradually was chipped away at it, chipped away at it, and had a lot of ups and downs like most of our patients do. But you can see with her persistence and hard work and the right guidance, after a period of a year, the significant difference in her physical capabilities. Her video, her before and after video in terms of her getting up and off the table is on the article on our website called Reversing Rheumatoid Arthritis. And at the top there, this, uh, uh, her videos are shown. Um, but again, it just it shows you, in contrast to the case Dr. Goldberg talked about, in contrast to the case with Anderson, just how different these patients are. Where one In, in Andy's case, there was a big dietetic factor. In one case, mm-hmm. there was a significant emotional trauma. In yeah. another case, there was a significant allergy that set these things off. So when you work with people that have rheumatoid arthritis, you really have to ferret out the specific individual factors that are going on with them and then tailor the process uh, to help them get well. Yes, fantastic, wonderful. Anything you'd like to add to that, Dr. Goldberg? No, I think it's a, it's a nice contrast because as Dr. Tenner pointed out, her problems were primarily uh, trauma-based, emotionally trauma-based, yeah. as opposed to the case he gave you right before that, which was the, the child with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. We actually see, we see many, many patients with rheumatoid disease. We don't actually see that many children with juvenile rheumatoid yeah. arthritis, not because they're not out there, but because most parents do not want to bring their child to anybody else other than a medical rheumatologist when they have it. And that's a very sad thing because those kids get locked into that system. And for many of them, I mean, it was a matter of just a few weeks, we had this kid entirely well out there playing soccer again. But there, there is a, a lack of confidence of taking a child to anybody else other than a medical rheumatologist 
when they have juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. Most definitely. And I know that you know, there's so much more emotion involved when it's not yourself. When you have the condition yourself, you think, look, I, I, this is, you're making decisions for yourself. So it becomes very emotional when you're trying to make decisions on behalf of a child and people go down the most popular route, which is the Western medicine approach, because it's where all the social pressure's at from their family and their cousins and their loved ones and friends and just saying, look, just get them on the medications, protect the joints. That's because the, you know, and yes, it's a, it's a horrible thing. I mean, you know, I think the only time I've ever cried on one of these episodes was uh, when I was interviewing a mum who has a similarly wonderful story to the one that you just shared about the little boy with juvenile idiopathic or rheumatoid arthritis with a similar wonderful recovery. And, you know, I cried. I mean, this because this stuff's real. This The little boy, I mean, he has the rest of his life ahead of him. This isn't, this isn't just, you know, we're in a business of manufacturing and we've worked out a better way to, to, to develop our production line. This is someone's life. You know, this, is, this is, doesn't get any more important than this. Yes, when we think of all the lives over the decades that have been destroyed because people have taken a, a drug-based route. Uh, I mean, for me, as soon as the doctor tells me, well, there's no hope you're ever really gonna be better, but we're just going to do things to protect your joints and keep you comfortable, I would turn the, as I did, I would turn the other direction right away. But because, and you put it very well, Clint, because it's a socially acceptable thing to go a pharmaceutical route, it is acceptable to, as you said, the relatives, the neighbors, and so forth. It takes the social pressure off and takes away that that feeling that I, I don't want to do the wrong thing. Yeah, It's my yeah. child at stake here. But when you think about all the kids whose lives have been ruined by going down that route uh, for the rest of their lives, it's, it's very sad indeed. Mm-hmm. But the good news is that they're, they're, they're by addressing causes. And by making, taking the steps to do the hard work that's necessary, these problems are reversible. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, I hope we've done a great service to our audience, people who've watched this, listened to this, to be able to contribute to ways in which they can uh, take action now and potentially go onto your website, make an inquiry and find out whether or not it makes sense for them to come and visit the Goldberg Clinic or do the Patterson program or you know, perhaps uh, somewhere, some combination of both. But I want to extend my deep gratitude to having you both share so much of your time today. I know you ha- we had to um, schedule this interview well in advance because you've got so many patients that you're working with and we've been able to set aside some time and, and reach a very uh, big audience now to be able to help them and, and give them another option. I just want to tell you guys, which I've not mentioned either offline or in these uh, couple of interviews, that uh, it's not common that I have doctors on this show and get their input because rarely do I see eye to eye with what they're talking about and rarely do I want to actively encourage my audience to seek them out. Uh, And that's not the case, of course, uh, with Goldberg Clinic. Uh, It's certainly, as I said, right been in my radar right back when I was sick and I was considering if it was financially viable to visit you back then. And anyone who now has the financial means or the proximity or the interest to come and visit you, I highly encourage them to do so because the work you're doing, I think, is second to none. So I want to thank you again for your time. And uh, I um, 
just uh, encourage you to go to goldbergclinic.com. Check out for yourself all of the testimonials with supportive data online, and you will see that this is the real deal. People are making massive improvements to their lives and that the options there if you would like. So thanks for listening to this episode. Thank you, Dr. Tanner. Thank you, Dr. Goldberg. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Patterson Program. For more information, visit pattersonprogram.com.